I just wanted to tell you how much I love this family, this this church family. Though this has been a very crazy week, I'm sure for most of you, all of you, and it's been for me, I just have been comforted so many times this week in a bunch of different instances about how faithful God is. Here we are this morning, and it's just another instance of that same thing, that God is being faithful to us in this time. This week, just for me personally, God has been faithful to reveal himself uh, as I've been seeking him. He's been faithful to supply the needs that we have as a family, and he's even faithful to give us this church family that we can uplift each other today. And I'm just so moved by how the Lord is is faithful in this time. Um, and what other group of people can say that they have a God who is so completely faithful in the midst of all of this uncertainty and all of this confusion and fear uh, that God is faithful. And Aiden actually today was reminding me that when we're alone is when we can be tempted to feel the most afraid. It's that aloneness that makes us fear. But he also was reminding me of a verse that we talk about often, that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Um, and we don't need to be afraid because the kingdom of God uh, can be with us uh, and live inside of us. And he provides us with the, the family of God. And we are therefore never, 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 never alone. Um, and today, that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, we're going to be reading Luke 11, 14 through 36, which is on the internet. Uh, so you don't have to turn your page there. You can probably just pull it up um, as we're all using uh, computers here today. So um, that's uh, Luke 11, 14 through 36. And we're going to just get rolling with verses 14 through 23. And we're going to see Jesus demonstrate that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan cannot support each other, but that there is no kingdom that can stand against God's kingdom. So let's read verses 14 through 23 uh, and get rolling. Uh, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. But if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed uh, fully armed, guards his own palace. His goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, 
and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So in these verses, Jesus is establishing that there are two incompatible spiritual kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And he, Jesus, is a child of the kingdom of God. But those who reject him are children of the kingdom of Satan. The scene here is that Jesus has has set his face toward Jerusalem. And the narrative, uh, as we've been reading in in the past verses of Luke, has paused to highlight very specific things about the kingdom of God. And we have seen the theme of casting out demons come up already many times uh, as proof of the power given to those who are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. So the question that the crowd is asking in verses 15 and 16, as they witness Jesus casting out demons, is a really, 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 really important question. They're questioning the fundamental nature of the kingdom of God. Is what Jesus doing here of God or of Satan? Is Jesus righteous or evil? Are these works of power that he's doing a sign from heaven or a work of hell to deceive? And they claim that they want a sign. But Jesus points out that there is a much bigger issue here, an issue of identity. The people do not need a sign of Jesus' identity. They need to understand their own identity. And so Jesus starts by establishing in verses 17 through 18 that the kingdom of God is completely incompatible with the kingdom of Satan. They cannot coexist, and they cannot work against themselves. That's not how kingdoms work. The righteous do not do what is evil, and the evil do not do what is righteous. You cannot advance the kingdom of God through evil works. Nor can you advance the kingdom of Satan through righteous works. And then Jesus points out in verse 19 that the people of Israel have already established that it is God who casts out demons. Jesus asks, by whom do your sons cast them out? If someone was afflicted by a demon, then they could go and be taken to the priests who would, by the power of Yahweh, cast those demons out. So Yahweh is in the business of casting out demons, not Satan. He always has been. Yahweh has always been in this business. So why are the people now saying that they need a sign to see if the acts of Jesus are from God or are from Satan? Why are they bringing this up now when for for generations it's been understood that it is Yahweh that casts out demons? Well, it's because they're not comfortable with what it means if, as it says in verse 20, the kingdom of God has come upon them. That is very uncomfortable for the people that are Jesus' audience right now. There were some significant expectations of what that event, the arrival of the kingdom of God, would look like. But Jesus was not meeting those expectations. Jesus was... Jesus was preaching repentance, not revolution. Jesus was preaching the salvation of the Gentiles, the bad guys. 
And that's where it gets ugly. Because what about those that claim to be the children? Sorry, that's where it gets ugly because uh, Jesus is not meeting the expectations. And he is claiming that even the Gentiles can be saved. And so what does that mean about the people who are claiming to be children of Yahweh, but are rejecting Jesus in favor of their own expectations of what the kingdom of God will look like? And Jesus paints, frankly, a, a pretty terrifying picture in verses 21 and 22. He describes two men, uh, a strong armored man and an even stronger man. The strong man defends what is his and trusts in his armor, but he's overcome and what was his is given to others. Well, the crowd would have been asking, uh, and we should be asking this too, who are these two men? Who is Jesus really talking about? Well, consider the previous comparison. We know that there are two incompatible kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And so which one has proven to be the stronger of the two kingdoms? The kingdom of God has complete authority to overthrow and to cast out the kingdom of Satan. And if Jesus, as demonstrated by his authority over demons, represents the kingdom of God, then who represents the kingdom of Satan? Well, Jesus answers that question for the people in verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. The answer that Jesus gives here is that it is not exclusively the people who have been born of Abraham that are the children of God, but it's those that gather with Jesus and that those who reject him, regardless of their heritage, are in fact the children of Satan. And that kingdom, that kingdom of Satan is powerless before the kingdom of God. So how does this apply? Well, it's both the most terrifying and the most joyous news that there could be. Friends, apart from Christ, we are the children of Satan. Apart from Christ, no matter how good our background or how strong our armor of self-assurance and self-righteousness, apart from Christ, we are God's enemy. And we cannot stand against him. But with Christ, with Christ, then there is no power in heaven or hell that can keep us apart from him. There is no heart so heavily defended by spiritual darkness or even literal demons that can withstand the might of Yahweh. His kingdom will overcome and can rule absolutely in our hearts. So what does it then mean to be with Christ? If that is the central issue here, if being part of the kingdom of God means gathering with Jesus, what does that really mean? Well, this is another essential question. If being a child of God depends on being with Jesus, what does that really look like? 
even in our situation right now, we're doing this remotely because of restrictions on gathering, gathering together. We're, we're isolated from each other right now to a certain degree. We're not in person in the fellowship of believers. So because we can't be gathered together in a church, does that mean that we are not gathered together in a church? No. Jesus. We are gathered together with Jesus, no matter where we are geographically right now. And so in this next section, Jesus is going to use this same teaching that he's just demonstrated about casting out evil spirits to illustrate this point, that gathering with him means that his spirit is dwelling in us. Let's read verses 24 through 28 and see the importance of recognizing which of two residents will inhabit your life. When the unclean spirit had gone out of a person, has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In these verses, I think that Jesus is demonstrating that to be in the kingdom of God means that his spirit is dwelling in us. And my Bible separates these two sections out into their own uh, separate sections. And when I was studying this, I was so confused by these different sections. Um, but the more that I'm reading this, the more I'm coming to really love these verses uh, because they show how intimate our relationship is with Jesus. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Uh, so remember that Jesus had just demonstrated his power and his incredible authority over demons as given to him by his position in the kingdom of God. He exercises that power of the kingdom of God, demonstrating that those who are with him are in that kingdom and that they are more powerful than the kingdom of Satan. And then he goes into this teaching about what happens to the demon after it's been cast out. What is this all about? Well, look at the condition of the evil spirit in verse 24 after it's been cast out. It's, it's searching for a hospitable place, a place where it can be at rest, where it can be at home. Uh, and it can't find that as after it's been cast out. But when it returns to the person where it had been residing before, it finds that things are different, but they're not that different. The person has cleaned up the house. They've swept They've made the bed. They've put back into order their life that the unclean spirit had put into disorder. 
But despite the cleaning up, what is notably what is notably lacking from this house? I won't be able to hear you because you're muted, but you can think about that. What is it that's actually missing from this house? It's missing a resident, someone living there. Sure, the house is clean and it's tidy and it's orderly, but there is no one living there, no one residing in this person's life. And so when the unclean spirit returns, not, in, not only is there no one to stop them from moving in, but in verse 26, the demon goes and gets some friends to move in with it. It's like a big demonic frat house. And the state of this person is worse off than it was at the beginning. How could this happen? Remember, in verse 21, we learned that when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are safe. And we learned from the immediately following verses that there is no one stronger than God. But even though this person has cleaned up their life, they have put everything in its place, they are missing the indwelling spirit of God. God is not there guarding their life. The person's life is temporarily vacant, but they have not made it the residence of God. And it's in response to this challenge to make your life the residence of God to which a woman replies in verse 27. She yells out, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Why? <laughs> if Jesus is calling people to allow God to reside in them, to make them his home, then it makes sense that there is no one who had a more personal, intimate relationship experience of this indwelling of God than Jesus' mother, the woman who literally had God dwelling inside of her. Surely she, above all others, has been blessed by God in this intimate experience. But friends, Jesus replies in verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and that keep it. What an amazing, amazing statement. Jesus is saying that those who hear and obey the voice of God experience a more intimate experience of indwelling of his spirit than his own mother who had Jesus in her womb and who cared for him as an infant. What a beautiful, beautiful statement about the relationship that we can have with Jesus. So how does this apply to us? It reminds us that it is not simply enough to have our lives in order if we do not have the Spirit of God residing in us. But if we do have that Spirit in us, then we are closer to God than a child is with his mother. It's beautiful. So how do you know that you are experiencing this intimate relationship with God? How do you know that the Spirit is dwelling in you? 
Do you know that his spirit is in you because of the, the fact that you don't use profane language? Do you know that he's dwelling, dwelling in you because you have controlled your own actions or, or self-control? Is it because you resisted the urge to hoard toilet paper during this quarantine? Is it because you are patient or you're kind or you're self-sacrificing? These are the kinds of things that the religious leaders of the day had trusted in. Their armor. And that's what Jesus condemned in them as whitewashed tombs. No, friends, you know that you are a child of God because of his indwelling spirit and because of your response to his word. And that word includes instructions about your speech and your self-control and your patience and love for one another. But friends, these things alone are not what you can put your hope in. You cannot trust only in these things. But you can only trust in the spirit of God himself living in you, which is only possible through Jesus Christ. So how can you be sure? I listed these things, these actions, these, uh, these visible um, outworkings that we see. But if it, it isn't dependent on those things, then how can we know that Jesus is who he says he is? Or how can we know that the Spirit of God is dwelling in us? Is Jesus' is Jesus's message of repentance and a radically different interpretation of the kingdom of God really true? Can we know that? And that brings us back to the very first question that they asked in verse 16. Jesus, just give us a sign. It's not really unreasonable. Just show us who you are and we will believe. Well, read with me verses 29 through 36 and we'll see the two signs that Jesus offers. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who may who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then the whole body is full of light, 
having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Here Jesus is placing the burden of the action of repentance back on to the people collectively who have turned so far away from the word of God. Jesus says, you ask for a sign? I am. I am the most powerful sign that there could be. No amount of miracles, which by the way I've done, and no amount of healings or deliverances or signs, which again I've done, will convince you when my very existence is not enough to convince you. The problem is not a lack of signs. The problem is that the generation is evil. The problem is that you are not children of the kingdom of God. You are children of Satan. Even Nineveh, Jesus says in verse 30, which was so evil and so hated by God's people, even Nineveh repented when given the chance by God's prophet Jonah. Even a powerful pagan queen, Jesus says in verse 31, sought the wisdom of the word of the Lord when she was given the chance by God's king, Solomon. But you, collective people who call yourselves children of God, are so lost in darkness that when you're faced with the greatest prophet of God, the greatest king of God, the embodiment of God himself in the flesh, when you're faced with that, you do not repent. You do not hear wisdom. You're so twisted that you confuse the works of God, the deliverance of demon from demons, with the works of Satan. That's how confused and lost you are right now. So the sign that you will receive is the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? A warning of coming judgment and a call to repent. And if you fail to repent when faced with the Son of Man, then all of those others, even the evil men of Nineveh in verse 32, who heard God's word and repented because they believed in a far less of a sign, those men will condemn you at your judgment. Because what you received was far greater than what they received, and you failed to repent. So Jesus says to them that the sign that you need is not from me. It's not from Jesus. The sign that you need is a sign from yourself proving which kingdom you are a part of. And so Jesus tells them of two signs to look for in their own heart, the sign of light and the sign of darkness. In verse 33, Jesus kind of states the obvious here. Uh, you can tell that if a lamp has been lit in a home by the light that it gives off. It doesn't really make any sense to claim that a light has been lit in your life, or I'm sorry, if a light has been lit inside of you, if your life 
is not full of light. And yet that's exactly what those people who are questioning Jesus here are claiming. They say, we have the light of God, but their lives don't show it. Which begs the question, who lights the lamp in the house? Well, it's the one who lives in that house. Again, we see this theme of dwelling. If your house, if your life is not full of light, then it's not because the owner of the house who lives there lit a lamp but, but put it under a basket. Jesus is saying, it doesn't make sense here for you to claim to be children of light if I'm not seeing light. It makes sense, or it's because the one who lives there is not the one who is of light. In verse 34, I believe Jesus is giving another analogy here of spiritual blindness. There's only one way for light to come into your body, through your eyes. And if your eyes are darkened, then there is no other way to bring in the light into your body. And the same is true for our spiritual eyes. If our spiritual eyes are opened, then our whole being will see the light of God. And his light will fill us and permeate every corner of our lives because he dwells in us. Again, it is this issue of indwelling. But if our spiritual eyes are darkened, then no amount of signs will ever convince us of who Jesus is. And only repentance can open our eyes, even that crack, so that we can begin to see the light of God. So these are the two signs that Jesus offers to the people for them to look for in their own hearts to check if they themselves are full of darkness or full of light. And that the answer to that reveals who it is that is living in your heart. Because Jesus is not going to live in your heart, light a lamp, and then hide it so that there's no light in your life. He will reveal it. So how does this apply to us? Well, friends, please do not be deceived into thinking that what you really need from God is a sign. God, I want to have faith, but I just need to know what's going to happen here with this virus. God, I just need to know that my loved ones will be safe, and then I will have faith in you. God, I just need to know that the economy will hold and that I can support my family. God, I just need a sign that you are good, that you are not doing something evil in this world. I just need a sign that you are in control. Friends, if you do not cling to the person of Jesus, then no sign will ever be enough. And that doesn't mean that we fully understand God's plan or the things that are happening around us. But if inside of you, living immovably in your heart, lighting lamps and driving back the darkness is Jesus, 
is the Lamb of God, then your whole life will be so full of light that no amount of darkness from outside will be able to dim your eyes. No pandemic or quarantine or loss of loved ones or financial ruin could possibly darken the fire that is burning inside of you, a fire to see the lost of the world saved. And that light that is burning in your house, together with the light from the houses of those that are all watching here, that are in your neighborhoods around the whole world, those houses burning with a fire inside will become together a bright, shining city on a hill that is beaming out the light of Christ into a dark world. And by the grace of God Almighty, the lost will see this light that is shining from us and come flocking to that light, even from the other side of the world, like that Jesus referenced from the Queen of the South. People will desperately come taking any measure to get to this light. They will be desperate for Jesus, who is the greatest prophet and the greatest king that the world has ever seen. He is God himself. That is what we have to look forward to if we allow God to reside in our hearts, to dwell in us. Not just a life put in order and cleaned up, but a life defended and given purpose and given power by the God who created all of this. Friends, he is in control. And the kingdom of Satan will never be able to stand against him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, that you have given us your son. You have given us your spirit to dwell inside of us. That we can have this purpose and this power, and this transformed life, not just a life that looks good and has been cleaned up but is empty, but a life full of purpose and power and a more intimate relationship with you, God, than even the woman who gave you birth. Father God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for its transforming power, and we, we rest confident without fear because you are living within us. And so God, this morning, as we prepare to go out and to have a week um, that, that is uncertain and full of darkness, God, we know that your light can go with us if we invite your son uh, into, to dwell in our hearts, Father God. Thank you for that. And thank you for this family of believers uh, that we can support each other even when we are far apart. God, we praise you. Uh, and we thank you for this week, Lord, that you have given us. In your name, God, we pray. Amen.